0: John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 18 this morning. If you need Bibles, there's Bibles under the pews. John one, fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him. And cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He... Has declared him. What an incredible section of scripture we have before us this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We look in and and we see that this is coming from verse one, verse two, verse three, the verses that have preceded it. In, in, in verses 1 through 4, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. And Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so you begin the book, John, the Apostle John just begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Making it very clear that, that in fact, the Word was God fullness of deity, perfect God, fully God. In the beginning was the Word. He's always existed. He's self-existent. And then, lest there be any doubt as far as in the beginning was the Word, lest there be any doubt of who the Word is, we come to verse 14. And it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The word became man. God became man. And he dwelt He dwelt among us. I, I know that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, this verse is one in, in which it is incredibly familiar to you. You've, you've read it. You've memorized it. You know it. But I pray that on this morning that whether this is a passage that is familiar to you or whether you're hearing it for the first time this morning, that for everybody that is here that there would be this sense of just awe of what is contained within this verse. You think about the creator of all that exists. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. I mean, you begin to think of the power of that, a God who speaks Things into existence. Not only speaks things into existence, but speaks the universe into existence. Every star that is out there, every planet that is out there, every moon that is out there, spoke earth into existence. All of the mountains and the water and the valleys and all of the animals, creating them, creating man in his own image, making man like him. A God who is 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 perfectly holy, a God who cannot be a part of sin, a God who who man cannot even look upon lest he die, a God who is 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 such that that he's perfectly holy without any sin and just glorious in, in which we will look upon and just be in awe of for all eternity. One in in, in whom. Angels are, are made and given wings simply to, to cover their faces, to cover their eyes when they're in front of them. A God that is that incredibly glorious that he creates angels with the ability to have wings that would just cover their faces. And you go from there to, to think of, of, of a God who is at all places at all times. A God who knows all things. A God who does whatsoever he wills to do. Both here here on earth as well as in heaven. A God who who is sovereign and almighty. Incredible. To think that the God who has always existed was the uncreated one. No, No one ever created him. He has always existed. To think that God the sovereign God of this universe became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. As we look at this, we'll find that that this matters a lot. This particular doctrine. Um, it's, it's one in, in which we, we need to understand and, and we need to be able to see why it is important. John, later on in, in, in 1 John 4, and verse 1, he, he tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe everything that you hear, but test it. Because there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. That every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So when John was writing this way back then, he says, Test every spirit because there's, there's false Prophets that have gone forth. And how do you know? How do you know if, if it's of God or not? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that says Jesus Christ became man, he became man, he became flesh, God himself became man, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world. John saying it, it's the spirit of Antichrist that says anything other than Christ is was fully man, that he was fully God, and he became fully man. Anything that teaches anything other than that is of the spirit of Antichrist. So John saying this is important. The doctrines that we're looking at here are important for us to say like eh, it doesn't really matter. We can say that he's God, or we can say that he's man, or we can say that he's just a prophet. It doesn't really matter. It does matter. Here, clearly, he says, anybody that says anything otherwise is of Antichrist. Back in 451 AD, there was a group that got together within the church. um, There in Kalsundan, near what would be modern-day Istanbul. And they met... For a significant period of time to fight against some of the false doctrines that were trying to emerge within the church. The church had a very clear view of this is what we believe. It was taught, as we see here in in the Gospel of John, it's clearly taught that he was fully God and he was fully man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. A doctrine that was very clear, and yet At that particular time in history, you would have people coming in saying, no, he's not fully God, or he's not fully man, or God left all of his deity and became man, but he was no longer God. There was all kinds of false doctrines that were coming in, and so this particular group got together and said, let's write something that makes it very clear, and this is something that is held to this day by Catholics, by Protestants, by the Orthodox Church within Christianity, they hold still to this particular doctrine that was was given. It's not very long, so I'm going to read it to you this morning. Think think about the words that they use as, as they go through. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, The same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Notice the words perfect in Godhead as well as perfect in manhood. Truly God and truly man, both. Of a reasonable or rational soul and body. Consubstantial, which means having the same nature or the same substance. So having the same nature or the same substance with the Father according to the Godhead, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation. Born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same God and only begotten God, the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. I mean, you see this incredible clarity that's given there as far as we need to be precise as far as what it is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ believes. Fully God, fully man, two natures, and confused. Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, they two natures together. And So we look at this and see that what we're looking at this morning, it, it matters to us. It matters. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You remember when the angel appeared to Mary. The angel gives details of, of what's taking place. Here's this, this young lady and Angel comes and says, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. He shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean this this angel's just giving incredible details far as this one is gonna be born, his kingdom is gonna be forever, he's the son of the highest. This is who Christ is. His name will be called Jesus, and he is gonna be there within your womb. Mary says, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. I'm the virgin. How How can this be? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And there will be one who is holy. A holy one. Who will be there within your womb, a holy one who will be born, and he will be the Son of God. Look at this and just radical when you think about when you think about it. The creator of all that exists, Almighty God, becoming a man, the Holy Spirit placing him within Mary's womb. In him being born here on Earth, not not only being born, but just the details that he'd be born in Bethlehem. It said that he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah five two. The details that would be given that that he'd be born in and, and and you look and you you see how it all comes about that he'd be laid in a manger, not even room for him in the inn. There with animals around and hay. A God who, who says, this is how, this is how I want my son to come into the world. Luke 2 tells us, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He started out as just a little guy. And growing up and, and, and being there with Joseph and Mary, growing up all through his childhood, growing in wisdom and stature. When we look at this, we see that when, when, Christ, when Christ came and became man, he didn't cease to be God, but he became man. But in reality, he fully became man, maintaining his deity but becoming man. There were times where he thirsted. There was times when he was hungry. There's times where he was tired. There's times where he obviously experienced excruciating pain. He had human emotions. You see him where, where he's in Gethsemane and about ready to go to the cross, and he says to the disciples, sit here while I go... Sit here while I go and pray over there. And and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. I'm, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point where, like, it's unto death. Knowing that he is about to go and to take all of the sin of the world upon himself. We see that Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Fully became man to the place where he was tempted in all things. When I say that he he hungered, I mean, imagine 40 days there in the wilderness without eating. Some of you right now are sitting here just going, I'm starving. I'm starving. Why do they have to talk about tacos before the service? I'm starving. <clears throat> That's the way our, our, our flesh is. I'm starving. I want to I eat something now. Not only do I want to eat something now, but I don't want that. I want this. I mean, we, we We feed our flesh whenever it wants something we we feed it. you hear people saying like oh, I just i I have to get my coffee if I don't get my coffee i'm miserable i I just need my breakfast. don't talk to me till I get my breakfast you You think of the way that 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 affects our mood as far as whether we've eaten or whether we're satisfied or whether we're comfortable or whether we're too hot. It's been hot this last week. So I've heard things being said like, oh, this is ridiculous. The heat is just miserable. I mean, it feels like I'm in Texas right now. I, what's, what's with this heat? And, and Pastor Jeff, who's from Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest is, their sign says Ridgecrest, the gateway to Death Valley. So... I don't think that's good for home sales, but you you look and Jeff's like, this isn't hot. This isn't, this isn't. Go to Ridgecrest. I mean, Ridgecrest, you'll see a coyote chasing a rabbit and they're both walking. It's so hot in that place. It's just brutal. And you think of of us we want things comfortable. I'll turn the air on. It's too cold. Whatever it is, whatever we 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 want. And then you think of forty days. Forty days. No food. You have Satan there. Turn these stones into bread. If you're God, like turn them into bread. you hear Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The temptation that's there to sin, the temptation that's there to give into Satan at that time, and yet you see him there 40 days without eating, tempted in all things yet without sin. You hear Jesus say things like in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please him. Or Second Corinthians five two or five twenty one, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew no sin. Even Pilate said of him in John eighteen thirty eight, "I find no fault in him at all." So we see that. Christ committed no sin. Peter tells us, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Fully God and fully man, but without sin. When you think of it, All the details that are given in Scripture, they matter. Um, Even being born of a virgin. We've talked about this before. It's a doctrine that you'll look at called federal headship, but sin is passed down from the man. When God's there in the garden and Adam and Adam and Eve had sinned, he goes to the garden, Adam, where are you? Goes to find Adam. Adam, where are you? The reason why is because Adam had headship there within that family, and Adam sinned. And as a result, sin has been passed down to every person who has ever existed because sin is passed through the seed of the man. But there would come one that we see in Genesis 3 that would come, that would come from the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Born of a virgin, Scripture makes it clear. The prophecies are given that he'd come, they'd be born of a virgin, Born of a virgin so that, as we had just read, the angel could say, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Born with a sinless nature, unlike all of us. Fully man, but born with a sinless nature because he did not have an earthly father, because he was born as a result of the Holy Spirit. Born from the Virgin Mary. Nevertheless he maintained his deity as well as being fully man. The eternal infinite almighty creator of all things took on human nature became fully man while maintaining the fullness of his deity. We see both his humanity and his deity. Think of in in Matthew 8 where there's this this great tempest that's there on the sea that arises The boat's covered with waves, and Jesus is there in the boat, and he's asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, his humanity and that he is in the boat, and he is tired. In the boat, and he is tired, he's sleeping. He needs to be awakened, even though there's waves that are just crashing upon this boat, the disciples are coming in saying, "How is it that you sleep?" And then you look at God and you see what He does, where He just rebukes the wind and, 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 and the waves, and it just becomes immediately still. And the disciples are, "Who can do this?" Fully God, fully man. Although the glory of the fullness of his deity was veiled, he nevertheless remained fully God. Clearly, it was veiled. You see the transfiguration where he shines like the sun. But what we find within the majority of his time, these 30-some years here on earth, was that his deity was veiled. Although he was without sin... became fully man. Galatians 4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, at the exact timing in which God wanted to do it, he sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. These are the words that should just cause our hearts to just be amazed at our God. I'll tell you that these words will become sweeter to us when we enter into eternity. When you're in eternity and and right now we see dimly the scripture tells us. We could talk about the angel saying, holy, holy, holy. We, we, We could talk about train of his robe filling the temple with glory we could talk about the transfiguration we could talk about Moses being there and and being up on the mountain wanting to see the glory of God and and God saying that he can't lest he die and so he puts him in the cleft of the rock and just says I'll pass by you can't see my face and live but I'll just I'll pass by and you could just see my backside as I as I go by and even then his face glows as he comes down the mountain we can see little pictures of it. We can see pictures of His holiness. We can see His holiness mostly when you look at the cross and see the Son of God dying on the cross for our sins so that He can make for Himself a people who are without sin. And you can see the preciousness of His holiness that He would send His only begotten Son to die for us. But I'll tell you, when we're there in eternity... We will, we will get it. We will get it in a way different way when the angels came and said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for unto you. A child is born. A son is given, a child is born, and it's, it's Christ the Lord. But you just imagine what was taking place within the hearts of these angels that had been created by him and seen him in all of his glory and just coming. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Don't be afraid. This is the best news that you could ever possibly hear. There's a a child that is born. A son that has been given and it is Christ, the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has always existed. He is there and He's you're going to find him. You're going to find him and he's, He's wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he's lying there in a manger. You're going to find him. The stars align so that the wise men can come and find him. All of the details that are given—it's just incredible. God gave us prophecies from the time of Adam and Eve, and the time that they fell into sin that He would crush the serpent's head. He gives us prophecies all the way through of this Messiah who was to come. We knew that he would come from the seed of the woman. We knew that he would be of the the lineage of David, 2 Samuel 7, 12. We knew that he'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. We knew that he would be wounded for our transgressions, that he'd be bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we'd be healed, Isaiah 53, 5. You read verses like this. This is the Messiah who is to come. He's going to be born. He's going to be from the seed of the woman. They understood what they said, what God said. From the seed of the woman, there would be one that would come that would crush the serpent's head. And so Adam and Eve have their first child. And as soon as, as, soon as Adam hears this prophecy given from the seed of the woman, he, he names her Eve, mother of all living. Because although she had never had a child, he's looking forward to the promise that's given that there's going to be a Messiah who comes from the seed of the woman. So he just says, okay, from now on, your name is mother of all living because you're Eve. You're Eve. You're, he's coming from you. They have their first child, and they name him Cain. And the word Cain means here he is. It's just saying, like, okay, what are we gonna name him? What are we gonna name him? You pick names for your kids. We went through, like, Jonathan, good, strong name, Jonathan. <laughs> Natalie, our little girl, means the same thing as Jonathan. Great name. Jackson, great name. I won't tell you if your kids' names are ridiculous, but no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> People don't tell me because I'll I'll sometimes just tell you, like, yeah. I won't say who it is, but someone said, like, we want to name our daughter Delilah. I'm like, well, you name her that, and everybody's going to know you don't know the Bible. (laughs) You can just name her Jezebel. I mean, there's so many things that you could name. Don't do it. So let me know if you need help. this one they just said let's name him here he is here he is because they're all looking to say like it's the one who's coming prophets that are writing these things down he'd be born from the lineage of David that he'd be born in Bethlehem looking and saying he's going to be born he's going to be born in Bethlehem he's going to be wounded the Messiah is going to come he's going to be wounded for our transgressions he's going to be bruised for our iniquities And then you read something like Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name is going to be called Wonderful. His name is going to be called Counselor. His name is going to be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And I guarantee you they're writing this down. And those that are reading it or hearing it. From God himself saying. His name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, and they stop there. His name is going to be called Mighty God. His name is going to be called Everlasting Father. His name is going to be called Prince of Peace. How is it that his name is going to be called Mighty God or Everlasting Father when he's going to be born in Bethlehem? He's going to come from the seed of the woman that he's going to be bruised for our transgressions. How is it that this can be, and I'll tell you, the reason that you know this has taken place, how is it that all of this happened is... And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how it happened. How is it that it happened? The Word became flesh. The creator of all that exists became flesh. Therefore, these things all could happen. He could be born of a woman. He could be born in Bethlehem and yet maintain the fullness of his deity because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made through him. Why is it so important? Why did he have to become flesh? Why did he have to become man? First and foremost, because you could think of of other ways, possibly. Is there any other way that salvation could have taken place? Is there any other way? Could, could he have not become man? No. Let's talk about why that is. First, he had to become man because God cannot die. God cannot die. He had to become man because God, who is spirit, cannot have nails driven through his hands or nails driven through a nail driven through his feet. He had to become man because God cannot have a spear driven through his side where blood and water pour forth. He had to become man because he had to take on flesh that he might be spit upon and have a crown of thorns placed upon his head and by his stripes that we might be healed. He had to become man so that he could die. He had to become man so he could become the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world so he could become our sacrifice, so he could become our propitiation. There had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And so the only way for us to have forgiveness of sins for all eternity was for God himself to become man. That he might be able to die. This just radical. I mean, you, you think of it, plan from the very beginning. Not something where God's reactionary and trying to figure it all out. Plan from the beginning, before he ever created the earth, that man would be given this garden and there'd be a tree in the garden that he was not allowed to eat to eat of, but that he would. God knows all things. He knows all things when they're still afar off. He knows all things. He's sovereign. He plans all things. No one can stop him. He knows what's going to happen and he planned it and he gave man nerve endings and he gave man blood and he gave man all these things. So there would come a point where he would be there on the cross and be saying things like, I thirst. Saying things like "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." As he's there hanging on the cross, and his blood is being shed—the precious blood of Christ—just as it had been prophesied before, where you look at at there, there at at the Passover, where there's the blood that's placed on the door. So when the angel saw the blood, would pass over that house, or the lamb without spot or blemish that would be given as a sacrifice there in the temple all of it is pointing ahead to Christ who is to come to say the lamb of god would come it would be god himself he'd have these nerve endings he'd have blood he would be man he'd be fully man so he could take sin upon himself so that he could die he had to become man hebrews 2:17 and 18 Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, and he is able to aid those who are tempted. He had to become man so that he could make a payment through the precious blood of Christ. And he did. He became man to fulfill all righteousness. He became man so that that he could live here on earth and fulfill all righteousness, to always do the things that please the Father. We see that clearly in Scripture. In Romans 5.18, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, Adam resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification for life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We are made righteous because he fulfilled all righteousness, tempted in all things, yet without sin. So he became man so that he could die. He became man so he could fulfill our righteousness. He became man so that he would be able to sympathize with our weaknesses, specifically as our high priest. Hebrews four thirteen, And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest Who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is our high priest. He had to become man for that to happen. Also, so that he might be our mediator with God. Second 1 Timothy 2 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is the same word that we find. It gives you the idea of he tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. He became flesh and he tabernacled with us. And John is bringing the Israelites back to the point where there was the tabernacle that was there in the Old Testament before the temple was made, this tabernacle in which God would be there and there'd be the Holy of Holies and God would meet the people there. There'd be the Ark of the Covenant and and the mercy seat that's there and the sacrifices that would take place there. And, And God would be there to meet with the people. And so he says, and the word became flesh and he tabernacled with us. It used to be that you had to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. The high priest could go in, but now he became flesh and he tabernacled with us. We were there with him. Emmanuel, God with us. It goes from there and tells us John bore witness of him cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist points to Christ's supremacy, the fact that Christ is eternal, he goes before me, even though John the Baptist was older. Jesus was the uncreated one. Jesus is the one that said to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad and the Jews said to him, you're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I've always existed. I'm the self-existent one." John the Baptist is saying the same thing. The Jews understood what he was saying. They picked up stones, throw it at him to kill him. Verse sixteen, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. And of his fullness, of his fullness, we look in in Colossians 1. It tells us about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, And he was before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness, all the fullness of God himself should dwell. He tabernacled with this, and of his fullness, the fullness of God himself, we have received in grace for grace, grace for grace, Grace that keeps coming and it keeps coming. And new grace comes to to supply the old grace. Grace continually reoccurs. Grace comes and grace comes and grace comes. That's what we find in Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. We see that it comes and, and, and through the law we see the extent of our sin and we see the inability to keep the law. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Christ fulfilled the law and gives us his righteousness. You hear Paul say in Romans 3.31, do we make void the law through the faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Christ fulfilled all of the law. It's not that the law is just done away with. Christ fulfilled the law. You look at it and say, can you be sure that you're going to go to heaven? Yes. How? Through faith in Christ. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do we need to keep the law? Do we need to do all of the things to keep the law in order to get there? No. Why? Because Christ fulfilled all of the law, He did it all. He fulfilled all righteousness, He completed it so that we come not by our own righteousness, but we come by the righteousness of Christ that's placed upon our account. It is just radical when you look at it that way. It's not this performance thing where I hope I did enough, I hope I did enough, I hope I did enough. You could never do enough. Christ did enough and he fulfilled all righteousness and then places it upon your account. And he does it by faith, not by works, so that you would never be able to boast in the presence of God. No one here will ever be able to be there and say like, well, I did it. I did enough. I did enough to get here. You could never do enough to get there. Christ fulfilled all righteousness. He became man and he fulfilled all righteousness. Grace and truth came from him and he proclaimed it and it is the gospel. It is the gospel that has from the very beginning, from the seed of the woman that become one that would crush the serpent's head, that it would become from a virgin. That the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and this child would be born and it would be Christ the Lord and he would be bruised for our iniquities. He would take our sin upon himself. It is always from beginning to end God that is the initiator, God that does it, God that is our salvation, not us, not our own works. so that we can never boast but all the praise would go to him and he just says, for whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. The result of true and living faith, the result of believing in him is we desire to live for him, don't we? We desire to please him, we desire to obey him, we desire to live righteous lives as Christians but not to earn heaven but because of what he has done for us. I pray that we would be a people who look at things like this and the word became flesh and the word was God. All things were created for him that the reality of these things would make us look and behold our God and the response would be I love him. I love him. I am in love with my Savior. It is God himself who became fully man and fully God and he died on the cross for my sins so that I could have forgiveness of sins and that we would just adore Adore him and desire to live for him and desire to obey him desire to worship him with all that is within us because of who he is that we would be astonished and amazed at our savior i believe that that is where the apostle john is trying to bring us to in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and he tabernacled with us that ought to affect us amen Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. Who could look at passages like this and say, the word is not God? Lord, you say, and the word was God. Who could look at passages like this and say, well, he didn't really become man. You tell us, and the word became flesh, and he tabernacled with us. The doctrine that is here is so clear, and we must believe this in order to have eternal life. You tell us that anyone that says anything other than this is of Antichrist. May we hold these truths to be precious to us. And may it cause us to be in awe of our Savior. And may it cause us to have salvation and to live for you for now and for all eternity. And so we come to you now in praise. Lord, please be exalted through the praises of your people who you have made for yourself, for your glory.